0: Uh, we're going to be visited in here, just to give you a heads up, by a member of the pastor search team. There are 12 of those people. You elected them, you prayed for them. You were introduced to them both in the bulletin of a pictorial kind, and a couple weeks ago they stood up on the platform. They meet every single Sunday at 2 o'clock, 2 to 4. They've been doing this already quite, uh, for quite a number of Sundays. And they pray quite a bit. It's a wonderful group. Diversity of racially, uh, gender-wise, ages. What's the common denominator? They love Sagemont Church. That's important. And they love the Lord Jesus. They're godly people. Uh, The chairman is Dr. Denny Autry, who uh, I think a good number of you know. We're so blessed to have him here. And they are not operating out of a sense of urgency and haste, but I promise you they're not dragging their feet on the process of asking God to direct us to the next pastor of this church. Though they're not being hasty, they're doing their work. They're working on things like a pastor profile now, a church profile, and a community profile. And they're um, praying. They're not putting ads in newspapers for resumes because they'll get responses. <laughs> and they don't want hundreds of responses. They will start looking at resumes at in the near future but have not yet. If you have someone in mind who you think ought to be considered, you can say so, but here's how you do it. Uh, you You can't go up to a member of the search team and say here's the name of my nephew in Sacramento, he'd be wonderful. The search team member will tell you, great, has your nephew expressed an interest in being considered? If you say, no, I haven't chatted with him, the search team member will graciously say to you, that has to come first. We're not calling people out of the blue just because someone says so. That's awkward and embarrassing. You can call your nephew and say, are you interested in Sagemont Church? Your nephew may say, are you out of your mind? (laughs) Not at all. And then we just saved each other a lot of time. If your nephew says yes, then you say, well, can you send your resume? It can come to you. And then you have to bring it to the chairman of the search team, Dr. Denny Autry. And if you don't know who he is, we can point you to him. Why these procedures? Just to standardize them. Just to approach this professionally and not hurt anybody's feelings and not create awkward uh, situations. So anybody here can bring a name to the table. The search team must be unanimous about a, a recommended candidate. There's 12 people who are quite different. What will it take to get 12 baptist people to agree on anything (laughs) it'll take the hand of god and that's what they're waiting for they and you and i we want god's man who is that person we don't know but we do know he's out there being prepared for us doesn't that make sense we're not looking for a newborn baby right we're looking for someone who's pretty much a finished product and ready to come here but as god is preparing that person for us apparently we're not ready for him. We have to get prepared too. So that's what we're going to be doing primarily in prayer. Pray that God would give wisdom to the 12-member pastor search team to find for us God's man. Now, how long will that take? Well, who knows? But you are already receiving from that team regular prayer prompters in the bulletin. Because they're in agreement. Prayer is the most important ingredient in this whole process. And you'll also be hearing from them from time to time. So next week, one of the members of that team will be in this class at the beginning, just for a few moments, to invite you to participate in a survey, a pastor profile survey. They want to know, what do you think? What kind of person are we looking for? And so the survey can take no more than eight to 10 minutes. It will not take long, maybe not even that long. And I'm telling you all this so that you can prepare by making sure you bring your phones next week if you have a phone. Because this will all be done electronically. It's done by a monkey business or something. There you go, there you go. (laughs) Thanks, David. (laughs) Monkey on my back or something like that. It's really quite wonderful. Because the search team can get those results electronically, boom, lickety-split. And it organizes it in terms of priorities, number one, characteristic, number two. It's quite wonderful. And the search team is going to really look at it and also make it available to whomever might be a potential candidate to let him know this is the kind of person, these are the values, our church values. That kind of thing. Now, if you're intimidated by electronic process, let me put you at ease. I was the test of it all. So I was at a pastor search meeting a couple weeks ago when one of the electronic geniuses in that group unveiled this thing. And to, and I tried to see if I could do it on my phone, and I couldn't. <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about, but but they're very good people, and they came over to me and just pushed a couple buttons, and it was then as simple as could be. Now most of you are going to say, "What is that guy talking about?" It's the easiest thing possible, but they will be here to explain to you uh, the steps in case you're troubled by it. So that's going to happen next week, and then uh, for us, and then the following week. Uh, as well, to cover all the iConnect classes in this particular church. So that will be next week. Now, I've been asked to make sure you understand uh, the the unfolding of our transition plan. I know that Brother Chuck spoke about uh, last week. November 24th is our pastor's last preaching Sunday. You know about this? November 24th. Okay, well, you, you do now, and a letter to that effect is coming out. He also made a video which was shown last week, and it's on our website if you've missed it and would like to see it, November 24th. After November 24th, Freeman Tomlin, who's just po- po- possibly the best guy in the world, uh, uh, next to me... Um, freeman will be preaching both services which uh, this was decided by our wonderful teams our personnel team and it's just a no-brainer he's already prepared for the one service so therefore he'll do two And he's been so very well received and he's sagemont's own grew up here and all the rest so um so he will do that and we have been asked to bring in guest speakers at least one sunday a month. Speakers who you may be interested in hearing from, not those who maybe would be our potential pastor that 's not what we 're doing that 's a search team process we don 't have the authority to do that, but just to get us excited about the kinds of communicators who may be out there uh, and who may and who who we may be glad to hear from at some point down the road so um, we 're assembling a list of people we think you would a very diverse group of communicators, different styles and so on. So uh, you could hear from them one Sunday a month. After November 24th, the pastor and Kathy's wife will go on a sabbatical for a spell. And on February 27th, that will be the pastor's official day, date of retirement, February 27th. So from November 24th, until February 27th, there'll be a a sabbatical. Now the pastor will be here for some of that time because December 15th, we're going to have a church-wide reception to express our appreciation and gratitude for almost 54 years of faithful ministry um, to this particular church, to all of us. And that um, event will consist of an all-day reception in the foyer. So you can come to your normal uh, activities and just go to the foyer. Well, there'll be refreshments, and then you can spend time with the pastor, and you can share your kind thoughts of appreciation. You can hug, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. That's December the 15th. Beverly Chambers, our pastor's longtime faithful assistant, uh, she and a group of ladies she has put together are going to construct that reception on December the fifteenth. So now I was told to, to ask, "Do you have any questions?" <laughs> uh, uh, this is unfolding. We don't have all the answers of things, but uh, th- this is this is what we know for now. Yes, ma'am. Yes. A list of the team members. Oh, um, if you if you look at the bulletin, that is the list. Well, not a whole list, just the prayer promp- prompters that they will periodically put out. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it wouldn't kill you to come to church more often. <laughs> um. <laughs> you, you will be hearing more from the search team to an extent. If you're if you're interested in knowing specifics, you know who are they considering and so on. You're not going to get it. <laughs> you just have to be confident that the search team is doing a diligent job. You have to pray for them wisdom that they would not stop short of the process God wants them to go through that they would be patient and godly and all the rest but as far as specifics you won't get any of those uh, because of the sensitivities I hope you can understand this all of the sensitivities involved so you'll get prayer prompters and you'll get announcements like this but you won't get specific names dates and all that kind of stuff from the search team so leave them alone basically (laughs) Any specific questions you have can be put uh, to any member of the search team and in particular Dr. Autry, Danny Autry, just to give you you know kind of one-stop shopping you can go to him. Okay. So, uh the, yes, Jimmy. Unrelated? Yes, sir. There are photos today this morning with the backdrop. Oh. You know, where the is? Oh. Ah, so someone is offering to take your picture with the Christmas backdrop. I think it's for the Envision. Uh, so Gary Williams, a wonderful guy here, just a great guy. Gary, uh, count him as a friend. He's a great photographer. That would be a lovely thing if you have a chance to go by, to do that. Thanks, Jimmy. Wonderful. Good. 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 So folks, please. Yes. Ah, oh, there's Deb. That's Gary's sister. <laughs> Um what do you mean war paint? <laughs> so if you're going to the cafe from here, before you get to the cafe, there's a hallway on the right. Scott, we can do it. We, I'm t- Scott, don't despair. Scott's lamenting that we won't finish the class because I went late last class. But I'm telling you, Scott, we're going to make it. Folks, don't be offended by this. Don't be such a baby. <laughs> we'll make it. Okay, so look, uh, challenging things facing our Church But they must be good things, or God would not have us be going through the process so let 's just be good people during the process meaning let 's not turn on one another, please support the teams, your personnel team um your the search team, the finance team um, uh your you're you're represented. It's a congregational form of government. These teams work hours and hours and hours. They're godly people just like you. Be careful about the rumor mill. One of the reasons we're communicating here is we've already heard some things that are just not true. They're absolutely just not true. We've heard from other churches of our kind who have gone through this, including Houston First Baptist Church. And they said, you will not believe what people start thinking and saying about all this stuff. So if you have questions, why don't you just ask? Why don't you get information uh, from one of us um, in the know? It doesn't have to be a staff person because you may have aught against one of us because some of us have already been cu- accused of uh, some power play in order to get the pulpit. and um, It could be true, but it's not. It's just not true. We- we'd be glad to give you the facts and if you think one or two people here can have that much power you don't know how your own church works we work through teams godly people on each of these teams the staff submits to the teams we don't call all the shots we make recommendations to the teams but they make they make, our administrator is here he's the administrator of the church he doesn't have he doesn't have unbridled authority on finances and all this kind of stuff. He has the responsibility of keeping track of things and then presenting to the finance team the future planning team and and By the way, if you want to be on one of these teams, you can be it's a very good procedure of governance it seems to me we have here to keep anyone from having undue power. Nobody does it doesn't There are checks and balances that you would not that you would be pleased to know about so. Um, if, you ha- if there are things on your mind, you're hearing different things, why don't you go to the source? You can ask the chairman of our personnel team, Donnie Bircham, the chairman of our deacons, Tony Banfield. You could ask our interim senior pastor, Chuck Schneider. And if you really want the truth, you ask me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, 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 so don't, don't be wondering. Don't be laboring over why this, why that. W- communication is very, very important. Just make sure you're getting it from the right the right sources, it would be a terrible sign of disrespect to our pastor to become disunited in this process when he has invested 54 years to keep us united around the cross, for crying out loud. So let's not, uh, let's not tear each other apart, <laughs> apart during, this, during this particular process. That's right. And we want to be, present is the next pastor and whenever with the most healthiest um, church family we, we possibly could. we want to be inviting for a godly person by being godly people. Okay, so there you have it. Speaking of godly people, uh, it's possible to be godly and yet at the same time tempted to go back to the old ways. I don't know what it is within us, but I'm victimized by it just as you. We know Jesus is wonderful. We have tasted and seen the sweetness of a relationship with him, and yet we're still tempted at times to go back either to the old religious traditions or even to the old patterns of sin. I don't know what that is. It's just something in us. If you feel that's you, you are not alone. You're kind of like what is depicted here, and that has to be kind of your prayer. Oh, God, keep me from going back to my, my old ways. And if that's you, I want you to know you're definitely not alone. I know this because an entire book of the Bible has written about it, and it's this book, which we are beginning today, Hebrews. Hebrews Hebrews is not actually a book. It's a letter. In fact, it could be called the letter of better. The writer of Hebrews wants to persuade believers who are tempted to go back to the old ways that Jesus is better. And so he's writing a letter of better in which he makes an argument from a rational point of view. Why would you turn your back on Jesus when, in fact, he's far better than anything you may leave him for? That's the whole nature of the book of Hebrews. There are passages in this we're going to really wrestle with. They're tough, but please don't miss the overarching theme. It's the letter of better. And in every chapter, the writer makes a point. Can you see Jesus is better than... And then we will fill in the blank as we go as we go on. To begin with, just by way of introduction, what's the name of the writer of Hebrews? Yeah, here's the answer. We don't, by the way, I spent hours and hours trying to find these funny things. And as a result, I really didn't study the text too well. I just got caught up with these funny little guys. <laughs> Folks, we don't know the answer. As to who the writer is, some people act as if they do. And many opinions have been advanced. Paul, Luke, um, Mary, um, Priscilla and Aquila, someone known as Clement of Rome, uh, Epaphras, Philip, on and on and on. Uh, We don't have a statement of authorship in Hebrews as we do In other books, you know, Paul will start an epistle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, well, we know who the author is. We don't have that internal evidence here in the book of Hebrews, so we're left with speculation about authorship. And then there's this question, uh, where was the letter sent to? Again, we come up with another question mark. We don't know exactly where the letter was sent. Some say Jerusalem, some say Alexandria, in North Africa. Some say Rome. We don't know the opinions um, supporting each of these. They're not without merit, but we just don't know conclusively where it was sent. What's more, who was the letter written to? Again, another funny guy. What'd you say, Paul? <laughs> so, So I agree with Paul. That is by far the most popular Conclusion that the recipients are Jewish believers. However, others say no; it's written to non-believers. Others say no; it's written to Gentile believers. And then the majority view seems to be Jewish believers. That happens to be the one I hold to, but you don't you don't have to buy that. I'll just tell you why I think that's probably the most likely choice. The writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, seems to. Uh, Uh, Seems to be writing as if the recipients were familiar with Jewish culture and tradition There's no explanation of anything Jewish in the book Which could imply the recipients needed no explanation They were familiar with the text So we'll see What was their situation? Well, whoever they were, they stopped growing Uh, And when a believer stops growing, it's the same as a believer going backwards. The whole nature of the Christian life is to be growing. If one ceases to, you don't retain your ground. You seem to slip further and further away from your ground. And that seems to be the situation of these, I think, Jewish believers in this particular book. Now, you might ask, how could they do this? How could they turn away from Christ if they really know him? Now, this question is not that difficult. The answer is, how could you? How could me? The same way. I know it's hard to imagine. It's almost irrational, having found Christ in all of the sweetness of what it is to be personally related to him, yet we still have this inclination to be tempted away from him, either by Religious practices of old that have not really met our needs, or worse, by patterns of sin of old, which surely have not done anything but given us temporary gratification. So in their case of these recipients, persecution was on the rise uh, for those who named the name of Christ, and we could say, well, maybe that's why they were tempted to turn away from him. Their lives were being threatened, maybe, maybe. When, by the way, was this written? Here we get another funny guy with a question mark. We don't know exactly when it was written, although we can narrow down the the range of dates. For instance, it was probably written in the lifetime of Timothy because Timothy is mentioned in chapter 13, verse 23. Well, Timothy lived in the first century, so this narrows it down somewhat. Secondly... Uh, The recipients of this book had not yet been widely martyred for the faith. This we derive from chapter 12, verse 4. But under the rule of crazed Roman Emperor Nero, oh my heavens, widespread persecution did in fact take place. Now, Nero died in AD 68, and therefore scholars conclude, therefore, Um, this book might have been written in A.D. 64, 65, 66, 67, sometime prior to the death of Nero, the great persecutor of the church. Furthermore, it appears that the temple was still standing when Hebrews was written. The temple standing in Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70 by the 10th Roman legion. So therefore, we know this had to be written in the first century, sometime before A.D. 70, probably in the reign of Nero before he died, and therefore A.D. 65 to 68. You may have a Bible that has notes that should say something like that. If it offers a date that's much discrepant from that, uh, that would be a minority view. So you'll you'll see what you have. Okay. Now look, folks, though we aren't clear about all this stuff, authorship, date, destination, we can do our best to be clear about the meaning of the contents. And this is how I study the Bible. Uh, I must say I'm blessed with this capacity not not to have to know all things. I'm perfectly comfortable with question marks. Uh, as I read scripture, and I'll tell you why. It makes me worship the author, because the author, God himself, is a lot smarter than me, much bigger. He's infinite. I'm very limited and finite in my capacity to comprehend things. I'm like a little child, really seeking to understand the ways of my, my Father and my father is bigger and better, and therefore I'm okay with question marks. Some are not. And some in the body of Christ who are too uncomfortable with question marks are prone to supply answers they should not supply. It's perfectly acceptable for a minister or anyone else to say, I don't know. Um, uh, Prior to our class, maybe the man is in here, I don't know, approached me with wonderful questions, Uh, those relatives of ours who've gone before us and who are in heaven with Jesus, are they informed about, say, the birth of a grandchild? (laughs) Do they know about that? Uh, Do do, do those in heaven, do they know about current events, for instance? Do they know about our situation here at Sagemont, our search for our next pastor, you know, those things? Um, And so I said, um, I don't know. And I think the person was somewhat disappointed, laboring under the misconceptions that because you know some things, that means you know all things. Oh, no, the possible uh, questions given rise by Scripture are, are, are infinite. And it's perfectly acceptable to say sometimes the best answer is I don't know. That's better than forcing something on on Scripture, you see. So we don't know all the things I opened with, but we surely can get a grasp if we look at this carefully and study it carefully. We surely can get a grasp on the content of the text, and that's what I want to do. So to begin with, uh, we'll start with this conclusion. The writer, it seems to me, is trying to persuade the reader that Jesus is better, far better than the prophets. This point will be argued in the first three verses of chapter 1. That's all we'll cover in our time remaining here today. So remember I told you this is the letter of better. And first, the writer, who I don't know of, is making the clear point. Here's how Jesus is better. To begin with, he's better than the prophets. Now, why would that even be an issue? Well, I'll tell you in a second. But first, let's look at verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke. Look, don't take for granted that he does. If God didn't communicate, you and I would be left with nothing but speculation about who God is and what he requires. In fact, the world is filled with biblically illiterate people who are left with nothing but that. They'll say to you, well, I think if there is a God, he would not have hell. Well, people are entitled to their opinions, but you should have an informed opinion. And God has informed us. God has spoken to us about his will and his ways so that we're not left with unbridled speculation. So God, after he spoke, well, when did he do it? Long ago, to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. God communicates. He's not a God of hidden nests, mystery, and secrets. He's given us not just the final book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. He's given us all the books of the Bible, which are books of Revelation. That's why I would caution you about becoming enamored by book writers and preachers and all the rest who too often use the word in their book titles and sermon titles the hidden nest, the mysteries, the hidden secrets, the secrets, the boom, 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 boom. You know, my father's not a god of mysteries and secrets. He's a god of revelation, for crying out loud. Be careful. People are always playing games, especially with numbers in the Bible, and coming up with c- twisted, crazy Bible codes and Words, and oh, if you look at this word in the Greek and assign a number to each of the letters, you find out that uh, Prince Charles is the Antichrist. <laughs> There's actually a book about that. Uh, 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 cr- crazy stuff. Please be careful. You know, a good God has spoken to us in words. They're words because he loves us and wants to communicate. You know how you pare down your language for young people Children and grandchildren, you know what I mean? Well, that's what the Father has done with us. He has um, condescended. He's accommodated. That's the word. He's accommodated himself to our words. So his communication is is based on words, subject, verb, object, context, syntax. Please don't read mysteries and secret stuff into all Parts of the Bible. Why don't you just read the Bible and take it for what it says, for crying out loud? Wouldn't that be a novel thing to do? But it doesn't sell books. A guy who wrote a book that most of you bought just wrote another one. Some of you are so enamored by it. Oh, my goodness. It's distressing to me. It's filled with speculation and secrets. I went online to check the guy out. Almost every one of his sermon series has those words, secrets, revelation. Listen, there's no secret about John 3.16. Read it. Every word means what it says. There's no deeper levels of meaning blah, 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 are revealed only to the specially elite people who write books and sell them for 15, 20 bucks. You're wasting your money. You should use it for go buy ice cream or something. That's better for you than consuming some of this nonsense. Anyway, God spoke, not in mysteries and secrets revealed only to a select few revealed to any one of his kids in this room. God, after he spoke, how did he do it? Long ago, to the fathers and the prophets, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, ones with whom we're familiar, ones worthy of respect, but not worthy of worship. And that's what was happening. In this particular day, Jewish people were stopping with Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and instead of worshiping the God, whose message was coming through them they were worshiping the prophets they did not let the words of the prophets take them further to the messiah whom they spoke about they stopped with the prophets you see what i mean and so they actually established schools of teaching and thought uh, attached to one or other of the prophets but but there's there's one who's far better even than any of these wonderful uh, godly prophets and god spoke Notice it says, um, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. You know what that means? Um, No one had the full story. (laughs) He spoke to each in many portions and in many ways. That means each of the prophets had bits and pieces of the full redemptive story. In order for us to get it, we have to read all those prophets, don't we? We can't just read Isaiah or Jeremiah. We have to pull it all together. That's why God has all of them in there. Why didn't God entrust the fullness of his revelation to any one of them? Why do we need a whole bunch of prophets? Why not just one? Because we would bow at the feet of that one. That's why. So he spoke to them in a fragmentary way and in a preparatory way. What they wrote about was about one to come. Read Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53. All of us like sheep. Have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all that's what Isaiah the prophet wrote who's the hymn? The hymn is preparatory, preparing us for Jesus, who's the ultimate him who suffered and died for our sin. You see what I mean, so God is saying, you should respect him i i I communicated to you through them, but in fragmentary and preparatory way. However, when Jesus came, it ended all that. So, for instance, take a look at verse 2. In these last days, by the way, do you know you're in the last days? Now, that doesn't mean I've set a date. I'm not into that. That's entirely speculative. The last days is the era in redemptive history from the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost between that event and now that's called the last days. That doesn't mean this is our last day. It's over tomorrow. I didn't say that, but that's an era in redemptive history. So in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. He spoke in bits and pieces in a fragmentary, preparatory way through these great prophets, but in the last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is not preparing us for one greater. There, there ain't none. <laughs> Jesus doesn't get revelation in bits and pieces. Jesus are. <laughs> he is the full and complete revelation of God to humankind. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory glory is of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth the writer is making a case to the readers why are you tempted to go back to the prophets and fall at their feet and worship them when what they had was piecemeal and preparatory pointing to the ultimate fulfiller of what they had to say jesus with whom through whom god has spoken in these days and Furthermore, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The Father made the world through Jesus. Jesus is the agent of creation, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not Ezekiel, not Daniel. In fact, I love this verse in Colossians 1, 16. By him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible. And invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He's not only the uh, the agent of creation, he's the reason for it. All things have been created for him. That is not said of anybody else in all of Scripture. So the writer is making the point, don't be tempted to turn your back on Jesus to someone or something less. The prophets are indeed God's creatures, but the Son is their creator. The prophets spoke of God, but the son spoke as God. See the difference? He's the greater one. So no longer do we receive revelation bit by bit through prophets, but now through a full revelation of Jesus, the son of God. And he, by the way, verse three, is the radiance of his glory. I've not seen God at any time. Maybe you have, but I doubt it. Um, but Jesus is the radiance of his glory. Isn't it good of God not to remain hidden in the clouds, instead to reveal himself in the person of his son? Jesus reflects the spotless glory and purity of the otherwise invisible and unseen God. No one else does. Furthermore, he's the exact representation of his nature. That's what it says right there. The exact representation of his nature. Jesus has the exact features of the Father. Therefore, we need not speculate about God. Study Jesus, and you will find God. In fact, it is of Jesus that only this could be said. It's from John's Gospel, verses fourteen nine. Look at, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus made that claim. Nobody else could dare do it. Not Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, none of those. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Furthermore, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He didn't only create things in the creation order. He sustains them. Did you ever think what holds things together? From, an, from a natural, uh, from physics, the very atom is made up of... Uh, a positive component, a negative component—they repel each other, and th- th- things should be blown apart. It shouldn't. It shouldn't work. Well, Jesus holds things together. So says Colossians 1:17. He is before all things. Uh, he has pre-existence. Everyone was birthed and born. Even the greatest of prophets, but Jesus pre-existed creation before matter was. He was. Therefore, he's far greater than anybody else and so uh it says in this verse he is before all things and in him all things hold together now here's what he did that's not just who he is look look what he did when he made purification of sins but that can't be said of anybody but jesus he made purification of sins in other words he addressed and solved our number one most fundamental problem sin which separates us from a holy god That's humankind's fundamental problem. It's not global warming. That is a grand distraction. This is man's number one problem, sin, which separates from the creator. And Jesus addressed it and solved it. When he had made purification of sins, what did he do? He sat down. He's finished. The job is done. Where did he sit? at the right hand of the majesty on high. Nobody else could occupy that seat. That's the seat of power and authority and intimacy and favor and closeness. And it's a seat of rest. When Jesus sat down, he depicts to us the rest of the work of redemption being finished. The work is over. It's Shabbat rest. It's Sabbath rest. He could sit down. There's no more to do. He could rest from all his efforts to save humankind because what he did procured salvation for all who will believe. In his death, burial, and resurrection, he paid the penalty, and then he sat down. I'm finished. It is done. Where did he sit? Again, at the right hand of the majesty on high, highest position of honor and privilege and power. He submitted to humiliation, and now, he is experiencing the exaltation which only he can deserve. Why would the Jewish readers go back to their religion? I'll tell you why. I'm one of them. It's rich. We just finished, sort of finished our holiday season. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. These are important holidays for us. Whenever they come up yearly, it brings me back to very fond memories As a young kid growing up, the foods my mother would prepare, the beautiful smells and scents and flavors in the home, the synagogue observance filled with wonderful liturgy and singing and all the rest. And whenever this comes up, I miss it. I miss it. And maybe I'm tempted to gravitate back to it. And then I remember Jesus is better. And I would rather be here with a diverse group of people culturally different than me, but who have Jesus in common. Why? Because Jesus is better than my religious traditions. Jesus is even better than the sweet recipes of holiday foods my mother laid out for us on the holiday table. Jesus is better than what the rabbis, though they are very outstanding figures and great communicators, Jesus is better than what the rabbis told me. And our songs are just so beautiful, cantorial, Singing and so on. Yeah, but it's noise. (laughs) Jesus is far better. My religion could give me some jollies here and there, but my religion couldn't give me peace, couldn't give me forgiveness, couldn't uh, bring me into right standing with Almighty God. My religion told me there's a bunch of hoops I got to jump through in order to be forgiven. But the Bible tells me Jesus has finished the work of redemption. I have to lay hold on him, not my own virtue. I have none. And so as sweet as all those things are, uh, when I'm tempted to retreat and go back, I won't do it because Jesus is better. I have a personal relationship with the very agent of creation. I have a personal relationship with the one who sustains everything in the creation order. I have a personal relationship with the one who had a a solution for my number one problem. He provided a solution for my sin, which separated and no longer separates because he's the only begotten son of God seated at his right hand. I have one interceding for me from that position even now as I stand before you. Can you see what the writer of Hebrews is getting at? Now, it's not just Jews tempted to go back to their religion. It's you too. Many of you come from rich religious backgrounds. They should not be despised, criticized, or avoided entirely. But none of your religious perspectives in and of themselves could give you what Jesus alone could give you. Therefore, don't be tempted to, to leave him behind. Doesn't mean you can't have aspects of your Prior religious background that you hold dear, I didn't say that. But you don't want to turn your back on Jesus in order to have those traditions. They really didn't serve you well. What's more, if Jesus is better than any other name that's named, stop going around identifying too closely with John Calvin or Jacob Arminius or Martin Luther or John Morgan or Donald Trump identify with Jesus. In fact, in the course of identifying with one of the, these others, I didn't criticize a one of them. That's not my point. As good and great as perhaps they are, they're not Jesus and i'm afraid folks you and i are violating our testimony in the public sector because most are seeing us to be support republicans who support donald trump now who that that may be the case please don't misunderstand if that's how they're identifying us out there it's no wonder they're not attracted to the jesus we sing about and worship in here a pizza guy delivered a pizza to my door the other day i really wanted the pizza really more than i wanted conversation with him But I want to represent Jesus to him. I had a tract in one hand and a healthy tip in the other. Don't just give people tracts and stiff them. (laughs) Here he came. I gave him the healthy tip first. He said, I really appreciate this. I said, I know you do. I'm glad to give it to you. But I have something here that's even of more value than what I just gave you monetarily. It's a little booklet with a great message. What is it, said he? I said, it talks about your problem and mine, sin, and the fact that Jesus was sent to solve that problem by dying on the cross in our place. I said, it would mean a lot to me if you would read this at your leisure. He said, I promise you I would. And I, I said, let me write my name and contact information on the back. I'd love to pursue this conversation with you. Off he went. Uh, I didn't tell him about Donald Trump because Donald Trump can't save him. I didn't tell him about John Calvin, a man I hold in high esteem, because John Calvin can't save him. I didn't tell him about Jacob Arminius. I didn't tell him about Martin Luther. My wife uh, grew up as a Lutheran. It's a wonderful group of people, and Martin Luther was oh my goodness, what a great reformer! Just he did what you know five people couldn't do. I'm not criticizing any of the above. Uh, I'm just saying they can't save. A political party can't save. A politician can't save. A pastor can't save. Um, Nobody could save but the one who could save. That's Jesus. So though my people have made this error warranting the writing of a book, we're making the same error today. Some people won't come our way because we're so loudly and in such an ugly way proclaiming our ideology out there about abortion, about same-gender marriage. Listen to me. I would be a supporter of abortion if I didn't have the mind of Christ. I would be a supporter of same-gender marriage if I didn't have the mind of Christ. What changed me is not some ugly Christian debating me about morals and ethics while I'm still in a state of unregeneration. What saved me is being saved by Jesus, and then he saved me from stinking thinking. No politician did that. No pastor did that. No philosophy, no ideology. Jesus did. He's far better. The letter of better tells me that. So don't just dump on my people. Look in the mirror. Stop walking around with hats and pins and this and that that immediately make an obstacle, erect a barrier between you and the unsaved person out there who doesn't like what's on your hat. Why don't you carry a tract around? Listen, if you're going to offend someone, offend them with someone who's better than any of these i don't really mind offending someone with good news the bible said how beautiful are the feet of those who bring tidings of good news stop being so ugly out there so critical so cynical so argumentative they see our protests our signs and all the rest and they're usually for good causes i got it but jesus is better the solution to all the ills of society is not the next president for crying out loud. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, uh, no party has a corner on the market of virtue. You have skunks on both sides of the aisles. I didn't say they all are. But skunkiness uh, knows no political affiliation. It's part of human nature. You have egotists, narcissists on both sides of the aisle. History has proven itself regardless of the administration. We're we're still in a stinking mess because Jesus is better, not a politician, not a pastor. I love my pastor. I'll grieve his departure as I hope you do, but he's not the savior. Jesus is. I respect John Calvin, but I'm not going to enter into a church and divide it because I identify as a Calvinist. Good night. If Jesus is better, then stop identifying with these named men of God who can't save for crying out loud. Now, listen, this may hurt your feelings. I don't identify as a Baptist out there because that's not my primary identification. The Baptist denomination didn't save me. I'm pleased to be in this church. I'm not looking for a better deal. I'm a Southern Baptist, and I like what we do. But I'm not going out there preaching Southern Baptist affiliation and causes. That saves nobody for crying out loud. Only Jesus does. Can you see why we need the letter of better? Get it together. Our focus is on the Supreme One who alone can offer to people a solution to the fundamental human problem, and that is the sin problem. We can get into politics in here after we're redeemed. We can talk about all these things. But the issue that makes or breaks our fellowship with folks out there is what have you done with Jesus? The Bible divides humankind into two groups, and it's not Democrat-Republican. It's not Protestants and Catholics. It's those who have the Son and those who do not. I know what happens when you have the Son, and so do you. You have forgiveness. You have grace. You have a relationship. You have the one who's far better. That's our message, folks. People are not coming our way because we represent every other cause boldly accept jesus if you're going to be persecuted or odds with your neighbor make sure it's because of your identification with with the name that's above every other name and it's not a particular political party or this one or that one all right we've gone late i lied to scott we've gone a little late but i personally feel it was worth it so okay okay Listen, Lord willing, we will continue in the letter of better. See if you can figure out who Jesus is better than as you read verse 4 and on. See if you can get it for next week. Lord willing, we'll talk more about how great Jesus is. See you next time.